in our study of young people of the Bible, we come to the story of Moses. His sister Miriam is, is also in the story. We're introduced to Moses first as an infant, and Miriam is an older sister. For your information, the story of the life of Moses is summarized for you over in the New Testament in Acts chapter 7, Stephen's message. You can read it there. The first thing we're introduced to here in in Exodus chapter 2 is this floating basket. And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi, and the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was goodly, we've seen this phrase before, a goodly child, means he was good looking, he was handsome. You've seen babies like that. Some babies come out a little squished, but this was a good looking kid, right? And so he was goodly child, and she hid him three months. I mean, you can only hide a child for so long, right? And, and you ha- we'll give some backstory to this in a moment. And when she could not longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and pitch and put the child therein. She laid it in the flags by the river's bank. And his sister, so Miriam, stood far off watching what would be done, what might happen to this child. Now, before you wonder what in the world is going on, turn back just a chapter and you see some of the backstory. You know it, perhaps. We can remember it from the life of Joshua because Joshua, remember, had found great favor with, or not Joshua, Joseph. Joseph had found great favor with the king. Remember that? Now, Exodus chapter 1, look down at verse 8. Now, there arose a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. So everything we learned about Joseph and all the favor he had received, but now we got a new king in town. Like, who's Joseph? All the king knew now was Israel. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. So now, I don't remember who Joseph is. All I know is that the Israelites are among us, and there's more of them mightier than us. Go down to verse 22. So what is his decision? Verse 22. And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born, that is of the Israelites, you shall cast into the river, every daughter save alive. Well, that's some pretty strange reasoning. But that's out there today. It's the reasoning, the rationale that started abortion. Don't tell me that that's exactly the rationale that started abortion. Now keep in mind that faith, so this mother, Jochebed, it is not a a denial of her faith to now put this child out there. Faith is not doing nothing and hoping for the best. Faith is doing what's available to you and leaving the rest of it that's out of your control to the Lord. Hebrews 11 says his parents did not fear the command of Pharaoh. So in other words, they're they're going to do what they can to protect this child. They were told to cast babies into the Nile. So in some way, some strange way, you might say, well, she was kind of doing that, I suppose, put the baby out there, but what was going to happen? And what happens next is the same thing that happens every time. And again, I don't mean to get off on this issue, but every time that, that like in Philly or here in, in the Delaware County Pregnancy Center, in Philly where I work, every time we just bought a new ultrasound 
machine, $28,000. But if we can get an expectant mother who's been considering abortion to sit down and have, or lie down and have an ultrasound and see the baby fully formed in the mother's womb, the miracle of life, what happens? Her mind changes. Her, her thoughts about abortion change. And the thoughts regarding this child that's now put out there in the bulrushes, as so many have been killed, the mind of this lady who finds the baby is suddenly changed. And Moses is given the adoption of Pharaoh, verse 5. And the daughter of Pharaoh, the same guy that says kill all the babies, came down to wash herself at the river, and her maiden walked along by the river's side, and when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it, and she had opened it, and she saw the child, and God pinched the child, and the baby cried, just a gentle little cry. Can you turn this down? No, you can't, can you? And behold, the baby wept, and she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. And what's going to happen? Then she said to her sister, Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call thee a nurse to the Hebrew, of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? You see what's coming together? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called Jochebed, the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take the child and nurse it for me, and I'll give thee thy wages. I'm going to pay you to stay at home and take care of your child. And the woman took the child and nursed it, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses, and she said, Because I drew him out of the water. Over in the story in Acts chapter 7, it says, Pharaoh's daughter took him, nourished him as her own son. Every preacher I've ever read after says that at this point is when God or the angel or somebody pinched the baby and he cried at just the right time. Whatever the case, there's only one way that Moses would survive this horrific murdering of babies, and that is by bringing together the heart of a mother with the cry of a baby. It's just that simple. The old sister, or the older sister, Miriam, offers her mother to nurse Jochebed, receives back that which she had entrusted to the Lord. Now Jochebed receives back this son to herself, and you see the education of a prince that takes place. Again, in Acts 7, in the story that summarizes it for us, and Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now, remember that because later it becomes an excuse of something that Moses says. But here we find that he was raised and is mighty in words and deeds. But all the education in the world isn't going to prepare Moses for what's going on. In fact, his education built a foundation, but wisdom takes time. Wisdom takes time. And his young, brash, educated beyond his intelligence self, look at what he does, verse 11. And it came to pass in those days, and we've just jumped way ahead in his life, when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren. How does he know these are his brethren? Because of the education he received at the feet of his mother early on. And he went out to his brethren, and he looked on their burdens, <clears throat> and he spied the, an Egyptian smiting an Hebrew. So he's beating, whipping somehow this Hebrew servant, one of his brethren. He looked this way, and he looked that way, 
And when he saw there was no man watching, he slew the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. And when he went out, the second day, behold, two of the Hebrews strove together. So now we we got two of the Hebrews fighting each other, arguing over something. He said to, to him that did the wrong, Wherefore smitest thou thy fellow servant? And he said, Who made thee a prince? Who made you judge over us? Right? You hear that all the time. And intendest thou to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? Well, wait a minute. Word's gotten out. And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. So now he's after Moses. And Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. This is the backside of the desert. And he sat down by a well. Moses thought he was ready to take charge. He was young. He was educated. Good looking, strong young man. He was going to take charge. But just like the Pennsylvania Dutch saying, you know it. Too soon, too late smart. You might start with that. Too late smart, too soon old. Too soon old, too late smart, whichever way you want. And he, this is Moses. He's too late smart. Not until he's much older will we find him ready to do what God's called him to do. The Midian, he takes in Midian now on the backside of the desert. He spends 40 years, 40 years on the back. You think five years has been a long time? He spent 40 years on the backside of the desert now learning lessons that he had never learned before. He takes a Midian wife, and it says in chapter 2, down in verse 16, down in verse 21, it says Moses was content. Moses was content. Sometimes we live our life that way, just looking for a place of contentment. You know, just calm, satisfied. Moses was content. Now, in Moses, we see a type of Christ in general. I want to make too much of it. But in general, there is a type of Christ in Moses. He's saved from the slaughter of Jewish infants. Remember that? Remember when the, the infants in Jesus' time were to be slayed? Later, he's rejected by Israel. As a result, he turns to the Moses to the Midians, Jesus to the Gentiles. Taking a Gentile bride, well, who's that? That's the church. That's us. He fathers children which are considered illegitimate. We are considered illegitimate children of God, adopted into the family by way of Jesus Christ. His wife, we read, must have been a great disappointment to him, much like the church has often been a disappointment for Christ. And he had no place to call home. Remember, Christ had no place to call home on earth. But God has never forsaken His covenant with Israel. And so we pick up the story again, back to our story. Exodus chapter 2, drop down to verse 23. And it came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died. So this guy that had it in for, for Moses, he's gone. And the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage they cried, and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and Jacob, all those young men we've already looked at. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect, God had compassion, God had consideration now for them. At this point, I, I just mention it, 
there's something called the seven I wills, or excuse me, yeah, I wills, and it's there in Exodus chapter 6. You see it in verse 6. God has not forgotten Israel, so wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, I will bring you out of, from under the burdens of the Egyptians, I will rid you of their bondage, I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments, I will take you to me for a people, I will be with you, and be your God, you shall know that I am the Lord, which bringeth you out of, from under the burdens of Egypt. The seven I wills. A lot has been said about those. Moses, though, is now ready. Forty years on the backside of the desert. The king that's got it in for him is now gone. Now Moses is ready, and we see Moses again brought before the Lord. Remember the burning bush? This is the story. Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, and the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even Oreb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him. This is perhaps, you see the capital L-O-R-D, capital L, capital This is perhaps a, a, re, a, a pre-incarnate Christ. Appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Now a young Moses would have reacted far differently in this. And Moses said, I'm, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw, he turned aside to see God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Now in Acts we read Moses was mighty in words and deeds. We know this young Moses was impetuous. He had just killed a Jew. But after 40 years of retrospection, after 40 years of waiting for what God might do in this young man's life, Moses at first thought to look at the bush, take some sort of action, and then he hears the voice of God. He hides his face. He's afraid to look upon this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whom his mother must have told him about many years ago. There's a distinct change in the response that takes place in the scene of Moses from the earlier days until now. And in verse 10, Moses is called, Come now, therefore, and I'll send thee to Pharaoh, back to Egypt, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. First of all, notice that it was the angel of the Lord that appeared in this burning bush. The, I would suggest it is the pre-incarnate Christ. And then Moses was about to turn and look at the bush, and it was God Himself who speaks directly to Moses. And so it has always been that before you can approach God, how do we get there? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Moses is called by God to remove his shoes because he stood on holy ground. And again, I would suggest to you, before you can serve the Lord, 
There is always a time of personal reflection and the demand for holiness. Moses now humbly stands in a way he would have never stood before on holy ground. Well, this once mighty man in word and deed is a little concerned because, you know, I'm not sure I'm your guy anymore. I mean, it's a long time coming. Look down at verse 11. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should... This, this is different than it would have been before. Who am I that I should go into Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly, I, I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, they'll say unto me, What is your name? What shall I say unto them? And this is the great I am statement. We'll come back to that. Over to chapter 4, verse 1. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they'll not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And down to uh, uh, verse 10. Verse 10, And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent. Wait, this was the guy that was mighty in words and deeds before. He's no longer eloquent. Neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech, slow of tongue, a different Moses than we saw 40 years before. J. Vernon McGee said at this point, God can finally use Moses at this point. And sometimes you go through struggles and trials and difficult circumstances of life. Maybe you're waiting on support. Maybe you're waiting on doors to open. But please understand that that delay is not that God has forgotten you. That delay is a time that God is preparing you for something you don't even yet know about. Moses is now ready. David slew a giant, you remember that? David slew a giant. At that moment, he was ready, I'm sure, to take charge. He was the elected king, but God put him in caves. You're going to live in caves now for years until you're ready to ascend the throne. Elijah stood in the court of Ahab and Jezebel, but God put him in the desert where he was emptied of self before he ever called down fire from heaven. Paul said, for my strength is made perfect in what? Weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. There's no other way for you to know that it's the power of God that rests on you than having come through some circumstance of life that challenges you in that way. Some of the greatest missionaries, their endeavors have been accomplished by some of the most persecuted and suffering saints that I've ever known. You read about them. I'm sure you've read after them. Smoke of a Thousand Villages, whatever other books I used to make, young, not make, but I used to call young people to read those books before we'd go off to a missionary, you know, sort of endeavor, just to remind ourselves of what God can do. You'll not be called upon to serve God in great things until you have first suffered for God in great ways. Remember that. Many young people think they're going to go off and change the world. You don't know. You don't know. Let God work in your life. And some of you right now may be even going through circumstances I don't know anything about. Life and death issues that come upon us. They can aggravate us. 
challenge us. But don't think God has forgotten you, right? You think God is preparing you for something, some way to serve Him. Well, if that's the way we thought, we'd probably hear a few less casual comments about God, a few more desperate pleas for His mercy and grace. I'm sure we would hear a few less sermons on how to be happy and a few more sermons on how to be holy. The Lord said to Solomon, remember this phrase, you know this, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then we'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin, heal their land. Before we point at the world today in which we live for all the problems that you can list on the back of a napkin somewhere and you can rattle it off all the problems and you could you think you know all the reasons why it may just be that the church is not holy as the church should be well in terms of preparation Moses and his preparation this marks the end of his youth And we find that in his final years, they are his most productive years of life. Now that may speak to those of you who thought that your later years of life were your time to, you know, it's time for the younger generation to take over. Don't do that. They're not ready yet. You've got a lot more to do. That's why you're here, right? These may be your most important years yet. It may also speak to younger men and women as you go through some of the transitions of life and loss, things that are challenging you. God may be using this time to prepare you for what is to come. I promise you, you'll you'll not be ready until you've come through those things. How many times, I said it just yesterday, I've stood at a funeral and said, grief will enlarge your heart in ways you would never know otherwise. God's doing something. He's preparing you to talk to someone, to share your story with someone, to share with a child perhaps in one of our ministries we talk about when children are present with us. How can I be used? There's something right now that you can still be used to glorify God. Don't just say it's time for someone else. This is our time. This is our time. And in the years ahead for Moses when many people are having midlife crisis and they You know, they buy whatever they think they need to buy to make them happy. You know how that goes. They're planning for retirement. Moses is fighting battles. He's leading wars. And that goes from chapter 4 all the way through, and you read the life of Moses. Moses has learned humility, and God has now removed all of his excuses. Who should Moses say has sent him? Chapter 3, verse 14. I am. Who's that? It's the great God of Abraham, Isaac. Jacob. That's all you need to say. God sent me. But they won't believe me. Chapter 4, verse 3. What did he do with the rod? What's in your hand? They won't believe me. What's in your hand? What talents do you have? What knowledge is in your head? What abilities? What resources do you have? God says, what's in your hand? What's he do with Moses and the staff? He says, throw it down. Remember the story, right? Turns to serpent. Take it up again. And that staff becomes his thing, right? That's his shtick for the rest of his life, that this is the the way I can be sure God is working in my life. How will I know what to say? Chapter 4, verse 14, he gives him his brother. 
I'll give you a brother to help you out. I'll give you a brother. You're not alone in this. Moses is now equipped to do what no young Moses could have done. And he stood before this now new Pharaoh. He speaks on behalf of the Lord with that very familiar phrase, chapter 5 now, verse 1. Pharaoh, what is it? Let my people go. He couldn't have said that. You may recall how Moses was instructed to prove his point by casting down the rod, turning the serpent, and then the, what happens uh, with Pharaoh's magicians? Remember that? Oh, that's a trick. We can do that. And so they do this sort of same thing, kind of looks like the same, but the powers of Satan are real. Then God turns up the heat over time, and you know I'm not going all through all the things that came upon the Pharaoh and the Egyptians until finally God does what Satan cannot do because God has the power of life and death. And that's the final straw that broke the Pharaoh's back here. The ten plagues that come, chapter 7, over through chapter 11. At each plague, the Pharaoh would initially let them go. And then what would he do? Oh, wait, no, that was a bad idea. Who's going to fix my food? Who's going to build our houses? Who's going to be our servants? That's, that was a terrible idea. And he chases after them until finally, when Pharaoh is mourning the death of his own firstborn, they get out of town. And when he's done that, he's like, wait a minute. That was a bad decision. And now in vengeance, he's not just going after them. He's going after them in vengeance for having slain the death slain the firstborn so now in anger and vengeance he's pursuing after the israelites until we encounter a pretty tough problem in the, in the exodus fear overwhelms them chapter 14 now so they're out of town pharaoh's coming after them chapter 14 verse 10 and they start the wine and when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, it shouldn't be so hard. And Moses comforts them, verse 13. Moses said unto the people, Fear not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you this day, for the Egyptians whom you have seen today you shall see them again no more forever, and the Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And God answered them, down in verse 27. Moses stretched forth his hand with that rod, and the sea returned to its strength. Remember, after the sea had been parted, now he extends the rod again, and the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egypt over overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the hosts of the Pharaoh that came into the sea after them and there remained not one so much as one of them not even one next they run out of drinking water remember this now they're they're heading off on this trek and they run out of drinking water and remember the one time well there's a whole other story when he strikes the rock supposed to speak to but that but so water comes out of a rock though right so god gives them that there's another time that god put an oasis in the desert and provided for them but they keep whining about it just like we do 
In the meantime, they run out of food, chapter 16. What does God give them then? Manna, remember the manna? But don't take too much of it. So manna, enough for today, quail in the evening. Just for today, though. Then they come to think that Moses is out of touch with reality because now he lays down the law. Remember that? Moses lays down the law. We've got that whole story. And so they build up an altar as a result. Now we're in chapter 32, and they wander aimlessly for 40 years. Now I've seen pictures, and I say, okay, I see I could get lost there, but that still amazes me, for 40 years. I mean, really? You couldn't find your way back? That's a long time. Couldn't map it out? It's pretty imposing, though, if you've seen it. And if that wasn't enough along the way, the worship leaders thought they had some better ideas. Now, you remember the previous worship leaders, Miriam and Aaron, right? Remember them? He hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider he's thrown into the sea, that, that song. God says he speaks to the prophets in dreams, numbers, chapter 12, and visions, but with Moses. He speaks to the prophets with visions and dreams, but with Moses. Do you remember what happened? He says, with Moses, I spoke to him face to face.